Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. <laughs> You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club that's just getting started. Some of you in this hall have already suffered directly at the hands of Lord Voldemort. A week ago, a student was taken from our midst. Remember, Cedric. Remember, if the time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy, remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave. Remember Cedric Diggory. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And yes, indeed, here we are at the very, very end of Harry Potter in the Goblet of Fire. We- I am ecstatic. We finally made it. This was really long. <laughs> so <laughs> we are reading the last two chapters of the book, which are The Parting of the Ways and The Beginning. There will be spoilers. There will be lots of cursing. And there will be, of course, some adult themes. The last adult themes of Goblet of Fire are metaphysics, eulogies, re-election bids, debugging, and Germany in 1939. Alex, for the last time of Goblet of Fire, I'm going to just keep repeating that because I'm so excited. What happened this week? In this week's chapters, the Goblet is half empty, Harry goes up to Dumbledore's office so that he can explain what the fuck just happened in uh, the previous 700 pages that we've just read. Harry unfurls the tale of what happened in the graveyard to Dumbledore and Sirius. Dumbledore explains that because Harry and Voldemort share a wand core, Dumbledore's phoenix, Fox, gave the two feathers that make up the cores of Harry and Voldemort's wand. Because they are brother wands, they can't be used in battle against each other, and occasionally when that happens, it produces the priori incantatum effect, which is what bailed Harry out of his little spot of trouble in the Little Tangleton graveyard. So that sort of explains that. Harry heads off to the hospital wing for some much-needed sleep. Madame Pomfrey is at her best. He takes a sleeping draught. Everybody's down there, Molly and friends, but Dumbledore says, Hey, let Harry chill for a minute. He's got a lot to process. Boy, does he ever. Harry is awakened by a big commotion. It turns out that... Cornelius Fudge, when he went to interview Barty Jr., brought a Dementor with him, I guess because he felt like he needed protection. But anyway, the Dementor just barged into the room and gave Barty Jr. a big old kiss, so that guy doesn't have a soul anymore. There's a big argument. How does everyone get there? It doesn't matter. It super does not matter. Yeah. <laughs> Shows Everybody up. shows up in the hospital wing to have a big old fight about this extrajudicial execution that Cornelius Fudge just allowed to happen. Fudge is like, I needed protection. I felt threatened. McGonagall is pissed that Fudge brought a Dementor into Hogwarts. McGonagall is, for once, like losing her cool. She is fucking pissed. Dumbledore says, dude, we've got to get this Voldemort situation under control. He's back. Fudge is like, fake news. Sad. You're a loser, Dumbledore. I don't believe it. Also, Harry Potter's crazy. I read about that in the newspaper. So Fudge has been reading Rita Skeeter. Dumbledore says, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree then. Basically, Dumbledore can't get Fudge to see reason. He's sort of like spluttering and trying to justify the fact that Voldemort can't possibly be back. He says he can't be back. He can't be back. Dumbledore gives him a bunch of policy advice about what he should do now. Yeah, they're at an impasse, basically. A parting of the ways, if you will. So Fudge storms off. Uh, He very dickishly hands Harry 
his thousand galleon prize winnings. He just drops like a big old pile of gold in Harry's lap and says, see you later. I will be a primary villain in book five. Dumbledore says to Molly, we got to get the band back together. Get Arabella Fig. Get me Mundungus Fletcher. By the way, this dog is actually Sirius Black. The dog then becomes Sirius oh my God. Black. I totally and everyone's like, holy fuck, Sirius moment. Black's in the hospital wing. And Dumbledore's like, no, don't worry. It's cool. He's with me. This is all in the hospital wing, right? Yeah. This is all a lot of crazy shit's going on. Dumbledore tells Snape and Sirius to put aside their differences because it's time to fight evil. They sort of grudgingly shake hands. Dumbledore says to Snape, you know what you have to do now. Are you ready? Snape's like, yeah, I'm ready. Snape heads off. Hagrid gets sent on a secret mission as well. With Madame Maxime. Yeah. The last few days of school are sort of a blur for obvious reasons. Harry kind of tries to avoid everyone. He has to have a sit-down meeting with Cedric's parents, so that's brutal. I have nothing funny to add about that. At the end of the year feast, Dumbledore eulogizes Cedric and says, you deserve to know how he died because not telling you would be an insult to his memory. Bad news, everybody. Lord Voldemort's back but we have to stick together. We have to be united in the face of this. So we toast Cedric, he toasts Harry, but some Slytherins uh, stay seated. So yeah, the Slytherins are still uh, unreconstructed despite everything that has happened so far. The gang head back to London on the Hogwarts Express, during which time Harry feels like more comfortable talking with Ron and Hermione. We Harry sees that Hermione has a copy of the Daily Prophet. He's like, oh man, is Rita writing about me again? Hermione says, Rita won't be writing shit about you for a while because I have her in an unbreakable glass jar. It turns out that she... (laughs) Hermione's going crazy at this point. Ron and Harry must be thinking, wow, Hermione is metal as fuck. It turns out that Rita Skeeter was an unregistered animagus. She's been the fucking beetle that keeps showing up randomly. Hermione took advantage of her greatest weakness, which is that she's the size of a fucking beetle, and imprisoned her in this jar and tells her that she has to lay off writing garbage news for at least a year or she's going to rat her out to the ministry. But until then, she gets to hang out in this jar eating like twigs or whatever beetles eat. I I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, so she's just in this jar in Hermione's bag. That's fucking nuts. It's pretty nuts, actually. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) so she tried to transform back into a human would she just like explode into i don't know i don't know might die that that sounds terrible anyway rita's not going to try that because she values her own life crab goyle and malfoy walk in and immediately start taunting the trio about the fact that voldemort is back and ha 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 harry potter i told you you shouldn't be hanging out with the wrong sort. Remember, call back to Sorcerer's Stone. I'm still at that level of emotional maturity. The good trio hex the evil trio. And Fred and George also throw in some hexes as well. So they've got like tentacles growing out of their face now and generally look the worse for wear. Fred and George step on top of Crab and Goyle as they walk into the compartment. Uh, they shove them off somewhere else in the car and there's really only one loose end to tie up, and that is who the fuck were Fred and George blackmailing all year. It turns out it was Ludo Bagman. He paid them off in leprechaun gold for losing the bet at the Quidditch World Cup. So, of course, it disappeared. They couldn't get Bagman to pay up what he owed them, but that's because he was in horrible hock to a bunch of goblins who were tailing him all year. To pay off his debts, Ludo bet on Harry winning the Triwizard Cup, which of course he didn't outright. He merely drew with Cedric Diggory. So Ludo had to skip town, leaving the twins with nothing since they gave him their entire life savings. Which was stupid of them. Well, it was a good bet. It was a crazy bet. But as we've established in previous economics episodes, the Weasleys are not great at personal finance as a clan. (laughs) Okay. So they're like, oh, we got a major prize money. Let's spend it all on vacation. 
uh, life savings? Let's put on a 101 bet. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Everybody gets off the train. Harry has an idea. He says, guys, I don't want this fucking death money. You take it for your business. So Harry gives them the seed capital that they need for the joke shop. And then he heads back to the Dursleys, who he has to stay with for magical reasons. And that's what happens in this week's chapters, ending our march through the Goblet of Fire. Harry gives such a lovely reason for wanting them to use the money to start the joke shop. He's just like, yo, we're going to need some laughs in the coming war. It's also really financially savvy because he sees he means that on one level. Yeah. Because he's like, I personally going to need to laugh. But he knows dark times are coming. That's a good investment. He's a really good investor. You know, he's like, he's like, I think jokes... I think practical jokes are going to be big in the second Wizarding War. Yeah. You know, like light escapist entertainment. So Harry Potter. Excellent venture capitalist. Harry Potter venture capitalist. So um, this is Dumbledore's finest hour. This it is was when we their see... finest hour, to quote Churchill again. again. My you Churchill know... impression is terrible. Well, mostly because he has a British accent. I you know I that, just ha- right? I just say it gruffly, yeah. <laughs> you just sort of. Uh, it's the American Churchill. I'm just like, ah, yeah, Churchill, Yeah, it is his finest hour, I think. This is when you really see what everybody's been talking about, about Dumbledore all along, because he just handles shit. And his, like, showdown with Fudge is, you see that he is, like, truly, like, the leader of the movement against Voldemort and always has been and, like, always will be, like, the grandfather and the father and, like, the current head of the resistance. Mm-hmm. There is this really freaky moment, however. When Harry told of Wormtail piercing his arm with the dagger, however, Sirius let out a vehement exclamation, and Dumbledore stood up so quickly that Harry started. Dumbledore walked around the desk and told Harry to stretch out his arm. Harry showed them both the place where his robes were torn and the cut beneath them. He said my blood would make him stronger than if he'd used someone else's. Harry told Dumbledore. He said the protection my my mother left in me, he'd have it too. And he was right. He could touch me without hurting himself. He'd touch my face. For a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes. But the next second, Harry was sure he had imagined it. For when Dumbledore had returned to his seat behind the desk, he looked as old and weary as Harry had ever seen him. Very well. He said, sitting down again. Voldemort has overcome that particular barrier. Harry, continue, please. That's like this really chilling little aside because we know that Dumbledore has been basically like marching Harry toward his inevitable death this whole time. And everything that confirms his suspicions that Harry and Voldemort are uniquely connected in a way that Harry will have to die to break. It's our first little clue. That Dumbledore is up to something bigger than just resisting Voldemort. Mm -hmm. And that Dumbledore and Harry have a really complicated, I mean, they've already had a complicated relationship, but Dumbledore's plans for Harry are not like help Harry survive so that he can grow to adulthood and thrive in a world without Lord Voldemort. That's not the plan. Dumbledore does seem, he keeps mentioning over and over again that Harry is braver than he ever could have expected. And that's a little creepy in the context of the seven book arc. Yeah, it is creepy. I mean, the thing is, Dumbledore is like proud of Harry on one level because I do think he loves Harry. But on another level, because I think he knows that he is training Harry for the sort of role as the chosen one. And he's really proud of his training. He's like turning him into exactly the sacrificial lamb that he needs. Ooh, that is complicated. It's really complicated. But at the same time, we have Dumbledore here, like, just behaving in ways that we've wanted him to behave all along. He's paying attention to Harry's psychological needs. He's standing up to everyone who wants to hide their head in the sand at this critical political and cultural moment. He's a badass. And once again, Harry is like, I get what people are talking about with Dumbledore. He's yeah. not just like a twinkly-eyed headmaster. He's like the head bitch in charge of the wizarding world. Yeah. <laughs> 
So on the other hand, we have Fudge. Fudge, who's really Dumbledore's foil in a lot of ways. Voldemort is a obvious foil to Dumbledore, but Fudge is as well, I think, because his instincts lead him in the exact wrong direction, but in a way that feels very satisfying and real. You fool! Professor McGonagall cried. Cedric Diggory! Mr. Krauss, these deaths were not the random work of a lunatic. I see no evidence to the contrary, shouted Fudge, now matching her anger, his face purpling. It seems to me that you are all determined to start a panic that will destabilize everything we have worked for these last 13 years. Harry couldn't believe what he was hearing. He had always thought of Fudge as a kindly figure, a little blustering, a little pompous, but essentially good-natured. But now a short, angry wizard stood before him, refusing point-blank to accept the prospect of disruption in his comfortable and ordered world, to believe that Voldemort could have risen. "'Voldemort has returned,' Dumbledore repeated. "'If you accept that fact straight away, Fudge, and take the necessary measures, we may still be able to save the situation.' The first and most essential step is to remove Azkaban from the control of the Dementors. Preposterous! shouted Fudge again. Remove the Dementors? I'd be kicked out of office for suggesting it. Half of us only feel safe in our beds at night because we know the Dementors are standing guard at Azkaban. I love the character, Cornelius Fudge. In the early books when he's just sort of this benign, bumbling politician, and then the way that morphs into something truly sinister. I think he has a great a great arc. Yeah, his characterization, she's actually really good at politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has a really, really canny eye for how politicians maneuver through the world. Like, it's just so interesting that so many of Fudge's, like, complaints here, like, Dumbledore has, like you said, like policy advice, essentially. He's like, you need to get rid of the Dementors because they are not going to be trustworthy allies the second Voldemort calls for them. They cannot be the ones guarding the Death Eaters. And you need to reach out to the Giants because we have to get as many of the non-wizard magical world on our side before Voldemort's recruitment starts in earnest. And both of these things, Fudge is like, you know I'd lose my job. Yeah, and Dumbledore, that would be really unpopular. And Dumbledore is like, are you fucking kidding me? Is that what's important to you right now? And it is what's important to Fudge right now. He doesn't want to lose face. And you can see, I mean, God, it feels like really lazy to do this, but there's just so many like current political analogs for like making these like really devastating and like long-term really poor decisions in order to save brief political face and in order to like get reelected in 2018. Well, yeah, (laughs) that's a major obstacle confronting democracies as they try to cope with existential threats, right? Sometimes you have to make, it's kind of the classic dilemma. You have to make short-term unpopular decisions to achieve positive long-term ends. And it's a really rare politician who figures out a way to do that. But I mean, you kind of see where Fudge is coming from here because he says, this was an interesting thing he says to Dumbledore. He says, you're going to whip up a panic that's going to destabilize everything we've tried to do in rebuilding society over the last 12 years. And he's totally right about that. So Fudge, I think, he probably sees himself as preferable to Barty Sr. because they were sort of like rivals for political power, you know? Yeah. Fudge has been like trying to recreate normalcy. So like this is his this is his life's work. His like political project is to is to return the wizarding world to equilibrium post wizarding war. And this will undo all of that. And he is in really intense denial because like what will also undo all of that is the return of Lord Voldemort. But I mean, he's right that it will cause chaos right. to announce this return and that there are ways in which Dumbledore is not being very politically savvy. And like, you know, when Dumbledore just at the feast is like, your parents wouldn't want me to tell you this, but Voldemort's fucking back. Like, <laughs> that's like maybe not the wisest move either. Like there there should be, and we, we wish for, a happy medium between these two approaches because Dumbledore has the approach of like the guerrilla warrior, essentially, where he's just like, no... We got to go all in. We got to 
essentially like have a propaganda campaign so people understand like that the enemy is out there and fudge is like we got to pretend nothing's happening an interesting thing about fudge is going back to him trying to rebuild after the war he has kind of a limited political imagination because he doesn't really understand how Voldemort rose to power in the first place fudge wants to reconstruct wizarding society exactly as it was before lord Voldemort rose to power. So he's really hesitant to take Dumbledore's advice about reaching out to the giants, about cutting off the Dementors, because Fudge, he's not like a Death Eater, but he still is like... He's like very conservative. Yeah, he still gives preferential treatment to old wizarding families, and he doesn't realize that the kind of pure-blood supremacy thing is what enabled Voldemort to rise in the first place. So he's unwilling to, he doesn't realize that in order to beat Voldemort, you have to like rip down those structures. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he doesn't realize that he's sort of building back up exactly the like social norms that gave rise to Voldemort in the first place. It's like, if you rebuild the culture that you had before the war, then you're rebuilding exactly the culture that makes room for Lord Voldemort to be appealing. So instead, he doesn't, you're right, he can't see, like, a new way forward. I guess you could see him as, like, he's temperamentally conservative. He's pretty moderate. He's like, we should probably have laws on the books protecting muggles, you know? Like, muggle-borns can work in the ministry, but Fudge likes to have the right people, like, in charge. But people who take that further, the Death Eaters, like the Malfoys, like the hard, I guess, there's not really a left-right equilibrium in the wizarding world, but like, I don't mean conservative as in right. as in far right. I mean like conservatism in in like the preservation of the status quo, right. like the actual definition so, of conservative. So people like Malfoy's are like, okay, so we had the right people in charge. Why don't we just go all the fucking way and just you know? get rid of the wrong people? Yeah, and it's like not that far down the spectrum from where Fudge is, and Fudge is really, really, really bigoted toward like not Muggleborns, but like kind of farther along the sort of like non wizard spectrum yeah. against giants against werewolves he's like not many people would have even let you keep Hagrid which is like such Ooh, a dehumanizing yeah. sentence I think I think in Fudge's mind though he's if you, like if really you, progressive well if you yeah if you interrogated Fudge he'd say well I keep the sort of base instincts of the population in check you know right. I'm looking for the compromise yeah you know if you don't have me as minister of magic and you have somebody like Dumbledore in charge, then the Death Eaters will really get popular because there'll be a big backlash to doing things like paying house elves and normalizing relations with giants. So Fudge probably sees himself as kind of holding back this dam of like... Yeah. I mean, you have to give him... I don't know. He's in a tough situation. Yeah, I was going to say, you have to give him a little bit of like leeway in that he is in a pretty politically untenable frame yeah but still i mean the, he displays such just like swift and abject like cruelty in these chapters that we're not going to give him a ton of credit no no like the way he treats harry is despicable right he like absolutely discards harry the second harry has stopped being like sort of a politically expedient figurehead essentially right. to his administration and right. he like hook, line, and sinker buys into Rita Skeeter's narrative about Harry, which is so stupid because Rita has really recently written about how Fudge is incompetent. Like, Yeah, well, media is like that, right? You see, for a lot of people, if the story lines up with your worldview, you're like, this story's great. And yeah. then that's just like Fudge's negative partisanship or whatever. Yeah, totally. You know, where Rita's story in this instance happens to stack up with what he it's wants like, to yeah, think. It's like convenient for, for Fudge. Yeah. But in that way, he also rings really true, you know? He yeah. uses the facts that are available for him to like, you know... Make sp- his case. Like, yeah, to spin it, to create um, his platform. Do you think that he deliberately... Because he basically is like, oh, the Dementor just like rushed in and performed the kiss and I didn't order it and blah, blah, blah. It was like beyond my control. Do you think he ordered the Dementor's kiss? It seems like it. I think so. You know? Because I I think he probably at some level understood that Crouch Jr. was going to have some stories to tell that like he did not want the public to hear. Yeah, even if he didn't know... It's unclear how much Fudge believes... Like, it's really hard to tell what Fudge actually thinks. It is, yeah. I think 
he's truly just deeply in denial because so the idea of Voldemort coming back is it's like really terrible for everyone. You know, yeah. it's awful. You know, and uh, it's a combination of being in denial and it just being more convenient for him to to be in denial. But in the way that being in denial works a lot of the times is you do everything possible to stop yourself from being like wrenched out of your state of denial. So, right. yeah, Fudge knows that Crouch Jr. Has the potential like, to know, upend yeah, everything. Knows some shit. So he can't be... Fudge needs to preserve his plausible deniability. Yes, absolutely. From whatever Crouch is going to say. Well, but the the crazy thing is he has this, like, understanding of how fucked up justice is in the Wizarding World because he has, like, five other witnesses. Yeah. Like, Snape, McGonagall, Dumbledore, and Harry have all heard Barty Crouch Jr.'s story. And, like, probably Mad-Eye will vouch for, like, major parts of it as well. So, like... Oh, yeah! Fucking Mad-Eye! He believes the part about Mad-Eye. Yeah. Like, he, he gets, but he thinks that it's just, like, the work of, like, a single lunatic, like... A lone wolf. Yeah. He, <laughs> exactly. If you will. If you will. So, but the fact that he is very clear that, like, none of the testimony of any one of these people, despite the fact that one of them is one of the most respected wizards in the world, two of them are faculty at, like, the top wizarding school in the country, and... One of them is the fucking boy who lived. None of their word is going to be strong enough to like convince. I don't. I guess a jury or whatever. Whatever a the trial fuck that thing is. Yeah. That. So. I don't know. That just sucks. I know we're jumping around a little, but I do want to talk more about Rita and like Fudge's Fudge and the Ministry's relationship with the media and like what the media hath wrought, essentially here. Fudge still had that strange smile on his face. Once again, he glanced at Harry before answering. You are prepared to believe that Lord Voldemort has returned on the word of a lunatic murderer and a boy who, well... Fudge shot Harry another look, and Harry suddenly understood. You've been reading Rita Skeeter, Mr. Fudge, he said quietly. Ron, Hermione, Mrs. Weasley and Bill all jumped. None of them had realized that Harry was awake. Fudge reddened slightly, but a defiant and obstinate look came over his face. And if I have, he said, looking at Dumbledore, if I have discovered that you've been keeping certain facts about the boy very quiet, a parcel mouth, eh? And having funny turns all over the place? I assume that you are referring to the pains Harry has been experiencing in his scar, said Dumbledore coolly. You admit that he's been having these pains, then, said Fudge quickly. Headaches, nightmares, possibly hallucinations. I had forgotten this part where Harry realizes that Fudge has been reading Rita Skeeter's hit pieces on him. And that really makes book five make a lot more sense where nobody believes him because Rita's sort of laid the groundwork. Yeah, she's poisoned the well. Yeah, to like discredit Harry really for no reason at all, except one time they had an argument in a bar. I mean, it's not even for that reason. It's like, it's for clicks, right, essentially. Yeah. I mean, this is like, it's a cheap selling more papes ploy. And that has like really, really ringing sort of like <laughs> implications in our world. Yeah, because... yeah. Harry's like, Voldemort's back. And and Fudge is like, but you're e-owls or whatever. Oh my God. <laughs> but really, <laughs> yeah. it's like the way that media covers conflicts like this matters a lot and like a lot of times and I I don't know if this is too much to ask of our media or not I think there's like a lot of open questions here but a lot of times like it's kind of like talking about politics the short-term advantages of like sensationally or like uncarefully covering events have major implications that you can't possibly foresee but it doesn't really excuse you like Rita Skeeter doesn't write these articles because she wants people not to believe Harry about the Dark Lord rising again like that's not her purpose just like CNN didn't report on the emails constantly because they wanted Trump to be the president okay I'm not comparing Trump and the Dark Lord I'm just comparing the media so calm down you guys but um the intent doesn't really matter because like when you are sloppy or just like make ill-advised short-term 
beneficent choices about like how you cover things like you have these repercussions that really really matter so Rita has just made this incredibly short-sighted choice that just like reverberates in this way that even she I I, I think probably couldn't possibly have imagined she just wanted like people to like have something titillating to read about Harry Potter. On the other hand, Fudge makes a good point that Dumbledore was concealing kind of critical national security information from him. that's true. uh, Vis-a-vis Harry's scar and other aspects of his biography, the parcel tongue... Uh, I mean, I guess Dumbledore, for very good reasons, doesn't trust Fudge all that much. Is that critical information? Yeah, anything related to Lord Voldemort is like a matter of national security. Okay, well, so then we have like a privacy versus security debate because like those are also like private details of Harry's life. Do the like basic facts of the existence of a boy like... That's the push-pull in the next three books. Right. And in this book, a lot of ways, like what... Does everyone owe Harry and what does Harry owe everyone else? Right. You know? Yeah, like, it's really Should people die for Harry? Is it right that Harry has to die for other people? Yeah. You know? No, should Harry have any sort of like, like who does privacy? Harry... Should Harry have any safety considering like Harry's implications for like the entire world? It's like a one giant like trolley problem. Yeah. So yeah, who does Harry belong to? Yeah. It's unclear. He's sort of like a national level security threat in ways that he can't possibly know. And Dumbledore is obscuring that fact. Yeah. You're right. Well, if Rita's like banned from writing for the next year and next year is when the Daily Prophet really goes hard against Harry and becomes like a ministry tool, that was kind of backfiring on Hermione's part because as you mentioned earlier, Rita is not fair to Harry, but she doesn't have any love for fudge or authority either. No, Rita would have written some ministry takedowns, I think, if she was still at the paper. Yeah, so the prophet starts to roll over for the ministry in book five when Rita leaves under Hermione's instructions. Well, the thing about Rita is, like, she's in nobody's pocket. Yeah, she's a true free agent. Except now literally in Hermione's pocket. (laughs) But, like, she is a true free agent. So, like, there's no reason that Rita would, like, fall in line with the prophet in the next book. And I think you're right that I think there's, like, a universe in which Rita becomes kind of, like, a media hero. Yeah. Um, if she can just, like, get out of her own way and, like, figure out some, like, and get some, like, a couple of scruples. So, just, I mean, like, a few scruples. In that way, like, you shouldn't attack journalists. No, Even you if you fucking hate them. No, Hermione is making a really bad call. Hermione capture like first of all like that's just not an ethical thing to do to another human being like you can't just keep her against her will she's you're kidnapping her you're kidnapping a journalist you're not fans of <laughs> and that. then blackmailing her yeah multiple children commit extortion in this book yeah that's true that's true I don't think what Hermione is doing is like actually the right thing to do I think probably ex- just tell on her yeah just expose her to the ministry yeah you're right. Yeah. No, Let her Hermione, face the consequences of her actions. Hermione has gone totally rogue on Rita Skeeter. And, like, I don't think she gets the appropriate comeuppance. Like, I think this is actually a really, really, really fucked up outcome for Rita Skeeter. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's. I just don't think, yeah, the ministry would not have been able to push her around. No, I totally agree. I think it actually would not have been a bad thing for Rita to stick around in the next, in the next couple of so books. That's interesting. Law of unintended consequences. Agreed. So Dumbledore is assembling the resistance, essentially. And one of his great strengths is his impulse to, like, reach across lines of difference because he wants to unite as many different forces as possible, kind of all in the same direction. So, like, he sends Hagrid and Madame Maxime to, like, try to recruit the giants to their side. He's got people like Mundungus, who's, like, a petty criminal, and Mrs. Fig, who's a squib. So he's, like, really good at understanding the, like, assets that, like, atypical people bring to the movement, which I really admire about him. This is also this moment where, as Dumbledore sort of starts to talk to Molly, he's like, you need to get Arthur on board. You need to get him to, like, talk to as many people at the ministry as possible. He's, like, assembling his team. And this is, like, a pretty masterful sort of, like, genre change essentially all of a sudden we're in a war novel yeah and that's what we're in from here on out is we're in books about people going to school in wartime and then not even going to school in book seven (laughs) so i just think that she does a really really spectacular like scene change here or like sea change rather um yeah the tonal shift is 
it's is, really is deft. Mm-hmm. I think it works. I think the tonal shift actually works really, really well. I don't find it ab- abrupt. I find so many things in this book abrupt and clunky, but I don't find this abrupt and clunky. Yeah. Well, Dumbledore makes that the theme of his end of year speech in addition to eulogizing Cedric. He says Voldemort's biggest gift is for is sowing discord between people, which uh, that's already been proven given the fact that Fudge and Dumbledore are no longer political allies anymore. Well, and that the Slytherins sit. Yeah. Maybe Dumbledore should reach out to them. Yeah. I think if he's going to reach across aisles, it should be across the aisle between Gryffindor and Slytherin. Like, because really, could... those are the those are the real dangers, like in the halls of your very end school. As we find out in book five, the Slytherins are like really, really, really serious assets to Voldemort and to the ministry. Ugh. It's bad. Surely you could, there's some way a Slytherin could be, I wish we had more good Slytherins. I know. Or anti-hero Slytherins, besides Snape. I wish I we had a kid Slytherin. Who had any redeeming qualities at all, and Draco doesn't count. <laughs> this is a moving moment. It is. Um, and it's a good message. Well, the other thing that's really good is that Dumbledore is saying publicly, which I think is really important, that Harry is trustworthy. Right. He's, he's treating Harry like the kind of like author of his own narrative and his own reality, which is really important because Harry is just constantly getting like fucking gaslit by everyone. That's true. So Dumbledore giving Harry ownership of this story is really a gift. So let's talk about what Harry's been through. Sort of Harry's loss of innocence. Yeah, which is crazy that he had any innocence left after That's books true. one after, through three. After fire hands to the face and dabbing a giant snake in the mouth and <laughs> various other heinous happenings. Yeah, this is the break between child Harry and teen Harry, really. Or like young adult Harry. Well, what's interesting is we get book five a lot of people dislike because of like quote unquote emo Harry. But reading the end of this book, you're like, Harry has every right to, like, have some mood swings. Like, if Harry didn't have, like, incredibly serious post-traumatic stress disorder before, like, <laughs> I know Man. that we harp on this a lot, but, like, the all they give him is a sleeping potion. And that's for, like, a night. For dreamless sleep. But still. Yeah. They, they don't offer him any medical care for this ordeal. You no, know, no, and, there are no therapists in the wizarding world. Or like he doesn't get to have any kind of like medication, even like a, you know, like a cheer up draft. Yeah, they have those cheering, cheering. Uh, oh, there's cheering charms. No, but I mean, that's not the same thing. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? No, like I know you, like I a fucking SSRI. <laughs> oh, oh, poor guy. Um, I don't know. I have a lot of empathy for the fact that Harry goes a little rogue personality-wise in the next book because, like, he gets no support in dealing with this. He even says one of the saddest moments in these chapters is when Mrs. Weasley... Oh, yeah. Mrs. Weasley hugs him, and he says, I have never felt like this before. I had never had a person hug me like a mother. I don't remember ever having a hug like that. And you're just like, this boy has been through it. Someone hug him. Even Sirius, like, claps him on the shoulder real manly. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, squeezes his shoulder squeezes too tight. Squeezes his shoulder too tight. And all he's sensing is, like, Sirius's, like, emotional needs rather than, like, getting to, like, put his own emotional needs in someone else's hand. Just, like, take care of him. Oh, my God. Yeah, poor guy. It's so awful. And he just, like... You can tell. I mean, she really writes pretty vividly about his trauma. Like, he's just totally numb. He can't really remember what happens in the weeks after the ordeal. It's just really hard to read. It's very, very, very upsetting. Poor Harry. I I just wish someone would help him. One little quibble about Harry's, like, horrible trauma. Why can't he see the Thestrals yet? Maybe he still sees the carriages as horseless. Maybe it hasn't like sunk in yet. Maybe I don't think that maybe makes it a takes, ton of sense. Maybe it takes effect after you've processed. That doesn't I think this is just a plot hole. Possibly. Okay. I anyway. 
so... So the Triwizard Tournament is over, I guess. Yeah. This shit was run top to bottom terribly. A lot of people should lose their jobs. And honestly, Dumbledore maybe should be censured. Like, let's survey what yeah. happened during this tournament. Um, one judge was being imperious by Lord Voldemort himself. Another was betting on the outcome of the match and owed massive amounts of money to goblins. A child died. A third was a former Death Eater who just fucking bounced, <laughs> abandoning his entire school at Hogwarts, by the way. Yeah. And a teacher gained access to the Triwizard Cup and turned it into a fucking port key. Yeah. Everything even, about this, even, the ministry is bottomlessly corrupt and incompetent, basically. Seriously, like setting aside the Voldemort stuff. It's still, they should all lose their jobs. Like, you still have abominable behavior this on the part of every run. single judge. Oh, yeah. Madame Maxime cheated. Well, they all cheated. Yeah, yeah, they all cheated. But, the oh cheating, my God. I know. It's just like, what a disgrace. Yeah. And Fudge is just like, here's your money, bitch. <laughs> he throws it onto Harry's bed. Oh, uh, so um, clearly they just never have a Triwizard Cup again, right? I like they not. shouldn't after no, this. They absolutely should. I love in Dumbledore's otherwise excellent speech. He says, "Well, the whole idea of the Triwizard Cup was to foster greater brotherhood between wizarding peoples." And it's just like, dude, maybe just don't even bring up the cup at yeah, this point. It's 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 you didn't do great. <laughs> maybe we just admit it like, didn't go great. Also, I don't know what having a death tournament does to bring people together anyway, but I don't... No, it doesn't I make guess, any sense. I guess we watch like... Also, in what universe does a an international competition like make you like... like the Olympics, I guess. You meet other... The idea yeah, is you the, meet over Olympics, sport and you're cheering, but then when it's over, you're like... That doesn't work in the Olympics people. either. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. Well, which just, is, this is sort of a parody of... All it just is... All it does is breed nationalism. Right. This is sort of a parody of that, yeah, in a way. Totally or like is. a play on it. You know? But So speaking of the winnings, the I mean, I just call it out. The anti Semitic goblin trope is back. <laughs> it's like really, really bad. Fred and George are like, Yeah, he owed a bunch of money to Grip Hookstein and Murderberg or yeah, whatever. Basically. You know? It's uh it's not great. Um I feel bad for Harry's dilemma with the money, though. You said before he does the best possible thing with this money. Mm-hmm. He makes a really, really good choice. Trying to give it to the Diggories is actually, like, also really great. I understand why they don't want it, but I think that was, like, a really – I mean, like, hell, it's one of those things where, like, maybe they won't have to have car washes to raise money for his funeral because – although the Diggories seem, like, reasonably well off, actually, yeah, don't they? you know. So – but I thought that was a really, like, sensitive move on his part. And then giving it to the – twins is like it's great it's a great move fred george wait a moment the twins turned harry pulled open his trunk and drew out his triwizard winnings take it he said and he thrust the sack into george's hands what said fred looking flabbergasted take it harry repeated firmly i don't want it "'You're mental,' said George, trying to push it back at Harry. "'No, I'm not,' said Harry. "'You take it and get inventing. It's for the joke shop.' "'He is mental,' Fred said in an almost awed voice. "'Listen,' said Harry firmly. "'If you don't take it, I'm throwing it down the drain. "'I don't want it, and I don't need it. "'But I could do with a few laughs. "'We could all do with a few laughs.' I've got a feeling we're going to need them more than usual before long. Harry, said George weakly, weighing the money bag in his hands, there's got to be a thousand galleons in here. Yeah, said Harry, grinning. Think how many canary creams that is. The twins stared at him. Just don't tell your mum where you got it, although she might not be so keen for you to join the ministry any more, come to think of it. Harry... Fred began, but Harry pulled out his wand. Look, he said flatly, take it or I'll hex you. I know some good ones now. Just do me one favor, okay? Buy Ron some different dress robes and say they're from you. Yeah, that's one of Harry's finest moments, I think. 
Harry has a plethora of fine this moments. This is an underrated fine moment I agree. for Harry. This is the unsung hero of Harry moments. Agreed. And just, you need ways to allocate capital to productive entrepreneurs in like a market-based economy, yeah, right? Like it's an economically sound. That um, money otherwise just would have been sitting in Gringotts. Instead, it's creating wizarding jobs. It is, and wealth. It is. It is generating more wealth as seed capital. Because the Weasleys can't get credits. Nope. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Severus Snape, who is one of the bravest men I ever knew. I maybe he's not that awesome, but. Yeah, he's fucking brave. He's heading right back into the nest with Dumbledore's orders at this point, right? Because what he's been asked to do is go to Voldemort and is, be like, hey, I'm like still on your side, man. He's like double agented up, which is incredibly dangerous. Dumbledore is right about Snape's bravery in this moment. So, and I, I love how much I usually am not that forgiving of Snape's various foibles. I, think he's got a lot of problems as a character but he truly has Dumbledore's back in this chapter yeah he does. I think the scene where he goes to fudge and pulls his sleeve up and says here's the dark mark like look at what is happening yeah Snape strode forward past Dumbledore pulling up the left sleeve of his robes as he went he stuck out his forearm and showed it to fudge who recoiled there said Snape harshly there the dark mark it is not as clear as it was an hour or so ago when it burned black, but you can still see it. Every Death Eater had the sign burned into him by the Dark Lord. It was a means of distinguishing one another and his means of summoning us to him. When he touched the mark of any Death Eater, we were to disapparate and apparate instantly at his side. This mark has been growing clearer all year. Karkaroff's too. Why do you think Karkaroff fled tonight? We both felt the mark burn. We both knew he had returned. Karkaroff fears the Dark Lord's vengeance. He betrayed too many of his fellow Death Eaters to be sure of a welcome back into the fold. Fudge stepped back from Snape, too. He was shaking his head. He did not seem to have taken in a word Snape had said. He stared, apparently repelled by the ugly mark on Snape's arm, then looked up at Dumbledore and whispered, I don't know what you and your staff are playing at, Dumbledore, but I've heard enough. I have no more to add. I will be in touch with you tomorrow, Dumbledore, to discuss the running of this school. I must return to the Ministry. That's a really good scene. I know. I, like, gasped at that moment because I was like, okay, like, Snape is sometimes a total badass. Because, sh you know... That's not an easy thing to do. No, Snape's rightly no. ashamed of his participation in that movement. I know, and I know. that is like It's like showing somebody your swastika tattoo. Snape is really hardcore in his in these chapters. He is. He's really, really hardcore. He even like he agrees to sort of like medium set aside his like serious beef, which is really admirable. Which they don't really, but But they do you know. enough. They are able to coexist in this movement. Yeah, that's true. So mine is Fox the Phoenix. <gasps> Fox, the Who best bird ever. The best of birds. Even, I think, better than Hedwig. He's more magical than Hedwig. Well, yeah. I mean, he's, like, the most he's magical magic as bird. fuck. Yeah. Well, and he, like, he actually, like, helps Harry. Like, he's the only one that goes up to Harry and is, like, here is just some straight-up, like, comfort and aid. And magic tears. And he heals his leg wound with magic tears. They should he... bottle that shit and give it to Madame Pomfrey. I bet they do. I don't think they do. I think... I think the thing, from the, thing with, the thing with the phoenix is the phoenix like, I can heal any wound, but you got to make me feel it. Well, no, I think it's that he has to be there. I don't think you can just pour the tears on it. I think they have to come out of its eyes. Well, he should just go to the hospital wing and cry on people. Yeah, he should. But I get but that. But he's busy. No, he's magic. He's got he's to be feeling it, right? He's like, I think it's so. got to be real sad for me to do this, guys. Yeah. Uh, those tears are valuable. Well, anyway, I just think Fox like is really comforting I found him comforting as I read I actually like was really found like some catharsis in Fox's behavior he has such a cheeky name too yeah he does <laughs> um all right so wow I think that's that for Goblet of Fire 
that's a wrap on Goblet. Yep. This week's episode is brought to you by the Hogwarts Express, ferrying you there and back again from one set of traumatic experiences at school to um, your equally traumatic home life. Snacks are not complimentary. (laughs) You got to pay for those. You do. Next week, we will be doing the movie mini of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Did you put your name on that goblet, Harry? That actually really freaked me out. Sorry. Alex did that. <laughs> um, well, good. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from, for the last time, Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We're going to keep doing the Jim Dale clips. We're just done with this book. Yeah. Please rate, review, subscribe. Please follow us on the various social medias at Quibbler Podcast. Please send us your quibbles, your thoughts, your feelings, anything that you want us to have or know about. Quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We read all of your emails. They are delightful. We love to hear from you. You all are wonderful people, and I hope that you are living your best lives. That's it. All right. Thanks, amigos. Sirius, I need you to set off at once. You are to alert Remus Lupin, Arabella Fig, Mundungus Fletcher, the old crowd. Lie low at Lupin's for a while. I will contact you there. So I don't want to hear any more of this small change shit. We're putting the band back together. One, two, three, four. I say to you all, once again, In the light of Lord Voldemort's return, we are only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided.